what we pray about reveals really what is most important to us. And so I wonder, what is it that you pray about? What is it that forms part of your daily prayer life? Because what we pray about uh, reveals what we think about God, what we, what we think about others, what we think is most important. So what is it that's in our prayers? Well, my, my guess is, is that... Um, We pray for ourselves, don't we? Uh, We pray that God's going to help us to get through another day, uh, for strength for the day, uh, for health for the day, for for provision, for finance for ourselves, to get through another day. And then we think, okay, well, uh, it's a bit selfish just to pray that for myself, so I'm going to pray for my family. So we pray for our family, that our, our family would... Would, would be strengthened and would, would have good health and, and have sufficient finances. What is it that we pray for our church? Well, we probably think about, you know, individual members in our church uh, who are going through tough times. And so we pray, Lord, uh, give them strength. Uh, Lord, give them, give them better health and help them to have the finances they need to get through the day. And the truth is is that it's very easy for our personal prayers and at times even our corporate prayers to become stale and a bit jaded. So what should we be praying for our church. Well, what does God have to say? Well, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. If you're visiting today, we're, we're just working through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and he probably went to church plants from Ephesus. And we've arrived at uh, chapter 3, and you'll find this on page 1175 in the church Bibles. There should be one near you. 1175. I'm going to be reading from verse 14 to 21. This is what the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Don't close your Bibles. Keep them open. We're going to be looking at this passage together. What is the focus of Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus? Did you notice what was not the focus? Um, No doubt the Christians in Ephesus had health problems. They didn't have a health system. They had no antibiotics. No doubt they died a lot earlier. Health was a significant issue, I am sure, in first century Ephesus. Uh, There wasn't that much money. And they probably had economic and financial hardships. They did not have dishwashers and uh, washing machines and cars and TVs, right? I'm sure that they were poor. Many of them were poor in this church. They had financial problems. But is that what Paul prays for them? No, it's not, is it? That is not the focus. So what is the focus of this prayer? It is a bit like taking a drink from a fire hydrant, isn't it? I've never done that. I don't know anyone who's ever done that. But it's one of those things people say, isn't it? I don't know what it means even, I think. Uh, We've got a fireman. He can tell us. Um, uh, A lot of water gushing out. You don't put your head over it. It's just too much to take in. So we need to boil down this prayer. What is Paul really praying? And it took me me until about 5 o'clock yesterday to really see this. This shows you how thick I am. But I worked out... That actually, if you take the beginning of verse 14 and the end of, uh, of verse 19, you get to the heart of this prayer. So have a look at it with me. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Down to the end of verse 19. See that little dash there? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For this reason I kneel before the Father, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's clear, isn't it? It took me till, till yesterday to see that. It's a very bold prayer, isn't it? Asking the Father to fill the church with all his fullness. That's what the prayer is. Asking the Father to fill their church with all his fullness. Wow. That's a big prayer. I I don't know whether you've seen uh, the TV show uh, Grand Designs. It's on Channel 4. I I quite like it. It's a great fun show. Kevin MacLeod kind of talks. You can put the next slide on. Kevin MacLeod, he... He basically meets these people who want to build their own home. And, and not, not sort of any ordinary home. They're all sort of special sort of homes. Kind of take a run-down castle and redo it up and add extra bits. Or a, an underground house or something like that. Someone who's got a grand design for where they want to live. And, and, and he, he talks about their plans. And they've got the plans there. And then you go through the traumas of, 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 of you know, when the foundations don't get poured correctly and the problems. And, and eventually, at the end of the show, the finished house. And you see the grand design. And Kevin 
pontificates about whether it was a good one or not. It's a, it's a fun show. I enjoy the show. Well, the point is that Paul's prayer here is totally in line with God's grand design. This prayer, this request that the Father would um, fill the church with all his fullness is actually praying in line with God's grand design. Now look at God's grand design. It's back in chapter 2 verse 15. Let's have a look at that. Middle of the sentence. This is God's salvation purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them, that is Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God's big salvation plan was to send his son to reconcile sinful Jewish people sinful non-Jewish people to God and to each other through the death of his son. This was God's great grand design, his big plan that he worked at. And more than that, this reconciling work of Christ has another outcome, and that is that this group of um, reconciled Jews and Gentiles together, reconciled to the death of Jesus, will become kind of part of God's family. And more than that, that they will become actually the house in which God will dwell. Have a look at it there in verse 22. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Do you see God's grand design for the church? It's an amazing design. That God takes rebellious, sinful people, people who are far off from Him, and He saves them by His grace, and He brings all sorts of different people together In Christ, he reconciles them to himself and to each other. And this uh, new group of people becomes the house in which God is choosing to dwell, to live. It is an incredible design. And so Paul moves from having, in a sense, talking about how this grand design was revealed to him. Remember we looked at that last week? How, how excited he was that this grand design of God was revealed to him. And he moves from that thought and says, well, for that very reason, for this reason, because he's seen God's grand design, he seeks God to fulfill that grand design. That's what this prayer is about. There to be a people in whom God dwells, by his spirit and so he prays to the father father fill the church with all your fullness it's i mean i don't think i would ever dream to pray this prayer would you unless i saw it in the bible fill the church with all your 
fullness. And Paul prays with great confidence because this is exactly what God desires to do. Isn't that incredible? This is what God desires to do. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, um, when you move into a new house, what's it like? Well, depending on what the last people were like, generally, if they're nice people, you discover an empty box, don't you? You discover an empty box with blank walls. Hopefully, they left the light bulbs behind. You know, some people are tight. They don't. They take them with them. But hopefully, you know, it's just an empty box. And if you've got a lot of stuff, what do you do? Well, you basically fill some of the rooms with your boxes. In fact, you've got so much stuff in the boxes, there are some rooms that are totally uninhabitable, aren't they? They're they're no-go zones. They're just full of stuff. And, you know, once you've recovered from carrying all these boxes in, uh, as the weeks go on, if, if, if God gives you strength, you start unpacking the boxes, don't you? You start finding places for your furniture. You maybe buy some new bits of furniture, a new sofa or something like that. And you gradually unpack the boxes. You put pictures up on the wall. You, everything finds its place. And you transition it from it being a house into a home, don't you? That's what goes on. You turn a house into a home. And you know what? As the years go by, that home increasingly reflects the family, doesn't it? That is both the wonderful and the scary thought, isn't it, as you look at your house? Yes, this house reflects my family, does it? Oh, goodness. All right, I'm going to go back and tidy up this afternoon. Okay. Um, but, but it does. It reflects the tastes and the character of the family. And I think that gets, as an illustration, something close to what Paul is praying for. He is asking that God would take the house of the Ephesian church and that he would turn it into his home. That God would fill every room in this house this church, that God would increasingly, as the years go by, that his character, that his nature would be expressed in the reality of that church, that it would be filled to the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? That's what he's asking them to do. Oh God, please fill that church so it fully reflects you. And we've already seen elements of this uh, in in Ephesians already, haven't we? Think back to Ephesians chapter 2 and the first 10 verses. You know, this amazing story of how we are saved by grace. Do you remember what it said about uh, us people who are saved by grace? In 2 verse 10 it says this, For we are God's workmanship. We are God's art display to the universe, displaying God's amazing grace. For the universe is going to go on. People are going to look on at this incredible thing called the church and say, wow, God is gracious. Look at them. Look what they were. Look what he made of them. They are his work of art. And so you see, increasingly, this prayer that... uh, God would fill the church with all his fullness is practically saying that increasingly it would be a place that would display the grace of God. 
and the kindness of God. That's what we're asking, that when people come into this church and see the way we relate with one another, they are going to say to each other, wow, I have never met such a gracious group of people. Their God is so gracious. That's one of the outcomes of praying that the fullness of God would fill this church. And when people come around and say, go, what a gracious God. What a kind God. To have such a kind people. What an amazing God. Or we could go on to chapter 3. And uh, we thought about this. When did we think about this? Was it last week? I don't know, maybe the week before that. I get lost anyway. But, you know, that what was God's purpose? Uh, that his manifold wisdom would be revealed through the church. Again, as, as people look, uh, as, as the heavens, the heavenly realm, the cosmic realm, the, even the, the, sort of the, the angels who are opposed to God, the, the cohorts of Satan, as they look on the church, they're forced to say, how did God do it? How did he get such disagreeable people together and unite them? He, he is such a wise God. That's what we're saying when we're, when we're praying. Lord, fill this church with all your fullness. That your character of wisdom would be revealed to the world. That's, that's what's involved in this prayer. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. This is God's grand design. His grand design for Charlotte Chapel. It was his grand design for the church in Ephesus. And when you see that grand design, then it's logical. For this reason, you pray, Lord, do it. Do it. Fill the church with all your fullness. Now, if we want to kind of zoom in a little bit closer, a little bit more detail here. It seems like there are steps involved in this process. Um, I think John Stott in his commentary uh, uses this idea that there are steps that you kind of ascend up in this prayer. So we're just going to focus in a bit more detail and think about these steps. Step one, it is a prayer for strength. Have a look at verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He is praying that they will be strengthened. And this, uh, there's these two uh, phrases that seem to be meaning the same thing. They're talking about the same experience. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith is the same thing as his spirit uh, dwelling in our inner being. Christ dwells in our hearts as we trust him through the person and work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. And Paul is praying, Lord, strengthen them through the indwelling Christ, through his spirit. 
This is a wonderful thing. In, in, in Ephesians, we've been thinking about our objective status in Christ, that we are in Him. All the blessings that we have in Him. But here, there is a move to a subjective experience of Christ. It's not so much just that we are in Christ, but through faith, Christ is in us. And the objective work of Christ, what what He has done for us and who He is, becomes personalized by His Holy Spirit in our lives. And... Uh, Paul prays, Lord, please just strengthen them through the indwelling Christ. And the logic seems to be this, that God answers this prayer. And if we uh, do not pray much and seek His power, we will only weakly Understand this. We'll be weak. But if we pray this, we will know his strengthening work. Does that not seem logical? Um, This can be us. We need to ask him, though, to do that, to strengthen us. And specifically, he, he talks about what they need to be strengthened to do. And there's two parts of this. Firstly, in verse 17, they need to be strengthened to love, to love each other. Look at verse 17. Um, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. So they need to be strengthened by the indwelling Christ to be able to love each other. Now, as you look around the room, do you think that's sort of a, a relevant prayer? Do we need strength to love each other? Well, uh, let's think about the context uh, in Ephesus. I mean, uh, remember how diverse this group was? We we saw it back in uh, 2.16. In this one body to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, uh, to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I mean, historically... Uh, there was a huge division between uh, Jewish people and the non-Jewish world. Their dietary laws, for years, their practices were to separate themselves off. And, and, and now, through Christ, they are encouraged to come and have a meal together where they remember the Lord's death and uh, to have fellowship in each other's homes. Uh, this was not easily overturned. There was significant hostility and tensions in the different cultures and backgrounds that would have caused problems. And so Paul prays, Lord, please strengthen them so they'll be able to love each other. And, uh, do you know, I, I want to suggest that maybe we still need that prayer for ourselves. I mean, praise God, there's lots of love in this room, right? Show me a smile if that's the case. Some of you are not sure. Um, don't like smiling, some of you. I don't know why that is. A few more smiled. Okay. I mean, the truth is that our, our tensions are probably not about, you know, Jewish food laws over against, you know, Gentiles eating anything. But, you know, there'll be other tensions in a room like this, won't there? Uh, we've come to slightly different convictions about the Bible. I mean, some people are delighted to in Reformed theology, and they find it something that gives them joy and peace. Other people, they find it distressing and troubling. 
Uh, some people have, have, have got it absolutely worked out with all the charts about what's going to happen with end times prophecy. They know, right? Other people are just slightly less convinced about that chart, you know? Um, some people have different views on, on Christian freedom about, you know, well, what sort of movies you should be able to watch or should you drink alcohol or not. And, and, and we have slightly different understandings of, of, of these things. On top of that, we have different personalities in this room, you know? Some of us uh, are just people that are prone to being a bit more discouraged, and some of us are bouncy optimists. And uh, some of us are sort of the people that can be a little bit prickly and uh, easily take offense. Uh, other people are clueless when they've caused offense to others, just clueless. Um, and you know what? When we, when we decide things together... Um, uh, and, 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 and you might have a great idea about the way to go forward and, peop- and we decide not to go that way but that can be a bit tough can't it because everyone should know that my ideas are the best ideas they're brilliant why are you so dumb not to see the brilliance of my ideas right? all these different things can happen in a church right any church not just Charlotte Chapel but it's true here as well how on earth are we going to stick together in one church. How, how, do you, how do you bring that together? Well, my friends, this is what we need to pray, that we would be strengthened by the indwelling Christ to love each other. This is something supernatural, right? So we need to pray for it. He's got to do it. Strengthen us, Lord, that we might love one another. And he uses two words there, doesn't he? They're beautiful words um, that, that suggest really that love is the soil. Love is the soil that enables believers to grow down deep so they can grow up. Love is the soil that creates growth in a church. And love is the foundation upon which a church can be built solidly and, and in a lasting way. That's what will keep a, a church going. It's love. Love is the thing that will help Christians to grow in a healthy way. Love's what's going to make us enduringly lasting and be established. It's love. This is how uh, men will know that you are my disciples. Jesus says that you agree with every point theologically that you um, have, you know, exactly, exactly the same thoughts about everything. No, 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 no. That you love one another. And we, we need this, don't we? Praise God, it is present. But the truth is, we always need more. Do we not? So first step, strengthened to love each other. And then we need to be strengthened as well, verse 18 and 19, to know Christ's love. Strengthened to love each other and strengthened to know Christ's love. Look at verse 18 and 19. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this 
love that surpasses knowledge. Now do you see the logic here? He prays that they'll be strengthened to love each other because only when uh, these different people are together in love, verse 18, will we have power together with all the saints to grasp how big is Christ's love, right? Sitting on my lonesome at home, I will never really understand the fullness of Christ's love. We need together to discover the awesome dimensions of the love of Christ. Now, there's a few surprises in this, in this sentence, I think. And the first surprise, perhaps, is, is that actually we are very blasé about Christ's love. We think, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Christ loves me. Yeah, that's basic, isn't it? That's basic. Uh, I remember uh, in interviews I used to conduct uh, uh, of new members in the last church. And, um, you know, I used to eventually ask them, well, what has Christ done for you? And there would be kind of a long silence, and then they would scratch their head, and they would sort of talk about maybe some recent answer to prayer in their life. And I said, well, that's wonderful. He's doing something there, but what, what has Christ done for you, you know? And, 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 then, and they finally go, oh, oh, yeah, 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 he died for me. Oh, problem, problem. When we become blasé and we think, well, yeah, yeah, I, I get this love of Christ. That's basic. Now, do you see what the verse is saying here? We don't fully get this love. It surpasses knowledge, Paul says. That's the other surprise here. Actually, uh, Lord, help them, give them strength that they would know something that surpasses knowledge. That they would get the dimensions, the height, depth, length, breadth of your love. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the, the relationship of, of having power, sufficient power to grasp something. It's a funny idea, isn't it? The problem that we don't, well, we don't really know something sufficiently, we don't have the, the strength to get it. Uh, so here's an analogy. Um, do you grasp how big the universe is? Do you grasp how big the universe is? Well, let, let me show you a picture. It's a picture from the Voyager uh, space probe. And it, they turned it around as it was about to leave the cosmos, and they pointed it back at planet Earth. And this is the picture of planet Earth, 3.7 billion miles away. Can you see it? We're going to have a better screen next week. But even then, it's, it's only a tiny blue dot. It's nothing. Then the Voyager spacecraft, I learned this from YouTube, it might not be real, but I think it is. Uh, the Voyager spacecraft travels at 11 miles a second. That's quite quick, isn't it? 11, that's faster than Usain Bolt. 11 miles a second. Now, the distance between our sun and the next closest sun, which is called Proxima Centauri or something, which is four light years away, it would, it would take the Voyager spacecraft this long. 11 miles a second, it'll arrive there in 73,500 AD. 
Do you get it's a long way away? It's big. It's big. Now, this, this, that means... Next slide. That's just, I mean, that's the closest star. Let's think about other stars. Here's the Orion's belt. Now, the, the, one, one of the stars in Orion's belt, next one, is called Alnatak. It is 800 light years away. So this was four years, light years away. This is 800 light years away. And, and it would take 13 and a half million years for the Voyager spacecraft to go from our sun to that star. 13 and a half million years. Now, now be, be careful. Hold on to your seats. Your brain might explode in a moment. Hold on to your head. Show you this next picture. That distance down there, that, that's where it fits into the whole galaxy. Do you see that? That was 13 and a half million years to go from that tiny little green speck there, and that's the size of this galaxy. Hold on to your head. My, my brain wants to jump out and go, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, check canopy. Right? It's, 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 it's checked out. It's, it's too big. It's too big. My brain cannot cope with that. Now, but, that, but, that's, but that's not it, right? Next slide. Cosmologists reckon that there are 100 billion galaxies. That's just one galaxy. They reckon there is 100 billion galaxies, each one containing 100 billion stars. That's the observable universe. Uh, that little picture there, each of those are, are galaxies. Do you have the strength to comprehend how big the universe is? I don't. I just get it's very, very big. Very big. Now let me tell you something incredible. God who made this very big universe decided to enter into the history of that tiny blue dot. And the mighty creator decided to reconcile sinful rebellious people and bring them together in Christ through the death of his son so that he could dwell amongst them. We need strength. We need, we need to be strengthened by God to grasp the love of Christ. You know, we can't be blasé about this. The love of Christ is bigger in its dimensions than the dimensions of the universe. We're trying to grasp something that, that, that surpasses knowing. And that's what we need, really. If we're going to experience the answer to this prayer, fill this church with all your fullness. God. Well, Father, do that. Now, th this, is, this is vital. This is vital that we should pray this and, and experience this, this more and more because what drives the Christian life? Let me give you a couple of quick illustrations. What drives the Christian life? Why should you this week, uh, if you're a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian, welcome. It's good to have you here. Uh, um, if you're a Christian here today, 
why uh, should you live a, a life of love? Why should you love other people this week? Uh, the, the Bible does not say, well, you should love like this because you're commanded to. Uh, look over at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See the way the Bible works? We need to get the bigness of Christ's love because that is what enables us to go about the business of loving each other. Because it is the indwelling Christ who will create this love and give us strength to comprehend his love so that we can be a church that is filled with the fullness of God. Christ desires to dwell in our hearts through faith. And empower us to love each other and to know his love. Isn't that amazing? And the question is, um, I guess, are we going to pray like this? Are we going to pray like this as a church? Well, the answer could be no. No, actually, um, I'm going to stick to my regular pattern. I'm going to pray for strength to get through the day moderate health and um, you know finances to pay the bills do you know what God does care about that it's okay to pray about that he really does but actually prayers like that just focus on self don't they and what Paul calls us to in this prayer what God's word highlights to us is actually there's a much bigger project going on in the universe than us just getting through another day. That actually, if, if we can see God's grand design for the universe, for history, then we will seek Him in prayer and pray this sort of prayer. He cares about the small stuff. He cares about our health. He cares about our finances. He cares about that. But you know what? God's got a much bigger plan. God's grand design is just so much more glorious than the vision we might have for our individual lives. Don't you think? To pray like this and to get a vision of what God is doing like this, it is so much more exciting. You know, if we just pray for ourselves, we can get the strength to get through another day. What are you going to do tomorrow? Oh, let's do it all again. What's the point? Well, here's the point. God's got a grand design. And we get to be part of it. And you know what? The center of God's grand design is focused on local churches just like this. On us. At Charlotte Chapel. How exciting. And so can I encourage you um, to think about maybe this week... Starting your daily prayers by going to Ephesians chapter 3 and praying this prayer for Charlotte Baptist Chapel. Why don't you kick off with that? Just every uh, day this week.
Whenever you get to your prayers and your Bible reading, why don't you kick off by praying this prayer for us at Charlotte Chapel. I wonder how God will answer it. How amazing. I I can't wait till next week. A whole church praying every day of the week that, that the Father would fill this church with all his fullness. My goodness, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen with the rest of the day? If we pray like this. Can God do it? Can God do this? Well, two verses, verse 20 and 21. And look at the way this builds. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able. Now to him who is able. That would be enough, wouldn't it? He's able to do that. Now, Now to him who is able to do all we ask. We're coming to the Father who is able to do all that we ask. Isn't that amazing? Actually, it's better than that, isn't it? Because now now to him who is able to do all we ask or imagine. Have you ever had a thought that was such a crazy big thought you said, I'm never going to say that. They'll just laugh at me, right? You can't have a crazy big thought enough for God. He's, he is able to do what we ask or imagine. No, no, it's, it's, it's better than that, isn't it? Now to him who is able to do more, more than all we ask or imagine. Again, my, hold on to my head. But it's better than that, isn't it? Have you noticed that? It's better than that. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, (laughs) immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us. Wow. Well then, if it's all down to him, who gets the glory? Verse 21, To him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.